winds were contrary in the fourth watch of the night, Jesus went to them walking on the sea. And when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were troubled, saying, It is a ghost. And they cried out for fear. <clears throat> but immediately Jesus spoke to them, saying, Be of good cheer. It is I, do not be afraid. And Peter answered him and said, Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. So he said, come. And when Peter had come out of the boat, he walked on the water to go to Jesus. But when he saw that the wind was boisterous, hmm, he was afraid. And beginning to sink, he cried out saying, Lord, save me. And immediately Jesus stretched out his hand and called him and said to him, O oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt? And when they got into the boat, when he, that is Peter and Jesus, the wind ceased. Then those who were in the boat came and worshipped him saying, truly you are the son of God. Father, speak a word to us today. That will inform us and direct us and shape us, position us, help us to be like hot wax in your word, to be like a seal stamped into our hearts. Make a mark on us that designates our lives as belonging to you, our destinies as belonging to you, and may we walk into the fulfillment of every good thing you've ever spoken and purposed over us in this year. Let it happen in Jesus' name. And everybody said amen. I spoke to you last week about see it. I want to talk to you again about that this week because when we talk about seeing it as the first step in the fulfillment of a dream, we're talking about vision. And Webster defines vision as the faculty of sight or unusual foresight or number three, a mental image produced by the imagination or number four, the experience of the supernatural as if with the eyes. John the revelator on the Isle of Patmos saw a vision unfold as though it was before his eyes that was not actually occurring in the time in he, which he lived. It was a vision of the future. Others in the Bible have seen these visions. These are supernatural visions, spiritual, and usually speak to you about something that has to do with a future event. But to see it, for you to live the life you've always wanted and for your dream to be built, to become a reality, build your dream, you have to see it, and that means you've got to have vision. John Maxwell says that vision is the ability to see, which has to do with awareness. It's the faith to believe, and that has to do with attitude, and it's the courage to do, and that has to do with action. John Maxwell is one of the most incredible leadership speakers and uh, lecturers that I've ever heard in my life. Also one of the most prolific authors, well uh, read after authors. His books have sold millions and millions and millions of copies around the world. 
I met him personally in a seminar he was teaching here. He walked off a platform and a crowd of a thousand pastors and picked me out and said, I want to have breakfast with you in the morning. And I just sat there with my jaw hanging open and asked, why me? He said, the hand of God's on your life. Never met you before, but I want to have breakfast with you. And man, I, I talk about favor. He is an incredible speaker when it comes to leadership. And he's right, because vision is the ability to see what God wants to do in your life. It's the faith to believe, and it's the courage to take the action necessary to get it done. If you have the ability to see, but you don't have the faith to believe, you're not going to get anywhere. And if you have the faith to believe but never take any action, faith without works is dead, is what James said. So you've got to act on your faith. George Borna is a renowned statistician and pollster, and he does a lot of research work particularly in the field of churches and religion. And uh, his work is instrumental in helping churches know what's happening, current spiritual trends, not only in America, but around the world. And George Borna, also author of many books, says, vision for ministry is a reflection of what God wants to accomplish through you to build his kingdom. Ultimately, at the end of the day, if your dream becomes a reality and you build your dream, you know what? God's going to get some glory out of it because your success contributes to his credibility. Amen. When God blesses you, others look and they say, wow, how did that person get there? And you say, if it had not been for the Lord who was on my side. And all of a sudden you become credible. You have testimony. You have, you have influence. I've always said that the greatest gift you can ever have is not the gift you have. It's the influence that your gift, when it is refined and developed, will bring. For example, amen, um, all of these great athletes, though they now deny it, don't realize that their greatest gift is not their ability to play basketball. LeBron James, that's not his greatest gift. His greatest gift is having perfected that gift. He can speak and an entire nation will listen to him. Especially young people will listen to him. That's his greatest gift. His greatest gift is influence. And I pray that you will have success so that when you speak, it won't be E.F. Hutton they listen to. It'll be you. Amen. And I was just visiting with some of our folk this morning, and their daughter is in Hong Kong, and God's opened some incredible doors and given her favor, and she's been in some Bollywood movies, and, and she's done a lot of uh, commercials and things like that, and just incredible doors are opening. And I rejoiced with them. She's a member of this church, so she now lives in Hong Kong. Her parents and family are precious people that have been members here for years. And I rejoice because what's going to happen is she's going to have influence. She won't be an anonymous individual just sitting watching life go by. When she speaks, somebody's going to say, hmm. And that's what I hope will happen with every single person that, that is here. Vision is important. 
God wants your dream to come to pass because when it does, he's going to get some praise out of it. Amen. And everybody I know has a dream or a vision for their life. The problem is, is that most people lose it when they face a challenge. And challenges are an inevitable part of the process of building your dream. Jesus gets his disciples into the boat and says, go to the other side. You would think, man, the wind's going to be at your back. It's going to be smooth sailing. Uh Uh-uh. The wind is blowing against them. They're struggling. They're trying to get to the other side. But the winds are contrary to them. And there's a storm in process. And then Jesus shows up in the middle of the night and they think, and he's walking on water, and they think it's a spirit or a ghost and they're terrified. You see, most people, they start out with their dream and then along the way, they encounter challenges and life hits them in the pit of the stomach and takes the breath right out of their lungs. And... Last week I told you that your dream often comes disguised as a challenge. And for that reason, don't panic when challenges arise. Amen. I want to work on that just a little bit more. because, And this may be one of the most important things I will ever in my tenure as pastor say to you. That your vision must not only be strong enough to survive a challenge... But it's actually that challenge that will help to refine your dream and bring it into greater clarity and focus if you can understand that was the purpose for which the challenge even showed up. It was to help you refine your dream, jetson the things that were not necessary, get rid of what's unimportant, and zero in with laser-like clarity and focus on what really matters. Here's the problem. Most people don't let that happen. Most people, when they encounter challenges, instead of that causing them to refine and redirect their energy and refocus and zero in on what their dream is all about, most people, their dream begins to crumble and fade and dissipate at the edges. It loses clarity instead of gaining it. And I say it happens to most people. Now, here's what's important. You need to realize that in this life, that there will always be a challenge before your dream is fulfilled. Jesus let them get into the boat, and the wind was blowing contrary to them. Now, when he got on the boat, the Bible said the wind ceased. Amen. And this is amazing. Verse 32 says, when Jesus got in the boat, the wind ceased. Well, why didn't he make it stop when they got in the boat? You know, that would have been okay. You know, that would have been cool. Uh, He lets it keep right on blowing. Two things I'll point out about that. One is, is that even though God is in something, there will still be challenges. Hear me. And that's because we live in a fallen world. Man that is born of a woman is a few days and full of trouble. Amen. And as I've often said, we're a fallen race that live in a fallen world that's ruled by a fallen Lord. This is not heaven. The second reason that, that, that you need to be aware of this is that 
simply because um, your, your dream is meant to be refined and challenged and, and focused by the challenges that come your way, but that doesn't happen to most people. The reason it does not is most people seem to think that if God is in something, it's going to go easy when the truth of the matter is when you need to understand this about God. You will have test after test in the course of your forward movement and your elevation. Amen. And you know what those tests are about? They're, they're tests to make sure you have learned who God is in your life. Amen. That's right. And the thing about God is, and the kingdom of God, you don't ever fail a test with God. You may think you do, but you don't. You just take it over and over and over until you decide to pass it. Amen. And I, when I say that most people, most people allow their focus to be, to be robbed and, and end up losing their, their vision in the middle of a challenge, the reason I say that is I look back in the Old Testament at the Old Testament typology used to represent the church, and that was the nation of Israel. And when Israel came out of Egypt, nearly every single challenge they faced, instead of them refining their vision, they lost their vision. Amen. They lost their vision every time there was a plague. Moses came and said, we're going to go to the promised land. Hooray! That's our vision, going to the promised land. The dream that God gave our great-great-grandpappy Abraham 400 years ago. Yeah, we're going to the promised land. And then there was a plague, and Israel lost their vision and focused on the challenge. Even though God supernaturally preserved them, and that's what you've got to remember, he supernaturally preserved them. Even though he did that, you know what happened? They still lost their vision and then God had to pump them back up again, and then came the next plague. That happened all these different times in Egypt, and then when they finally did get out of Egypt after the plague of the firstborn being slain and theirs were spared, they came to the Red Sea, and once again, another challenge. They're all excited the night they're leaving. We're going to the promised land. Hey, hallelujah. This is our year. And do you know it should have taken them only 21 days to get to the promised land. It took them 40 years. Look at your neighbor and say, how long are you going to be in that same grade? Amen. You're going to keep taking that same test over and over. By now, you should have memorized the question. Forty years in the same nine questions, you should have memorized that test by now. Amen. They just keep taking it over and over and over again and kept failing it. They came to the Red Sea, and they looked at that and said, go and they looked on one side, and there were mountains, desert on another, and here come Pharaoh's army and Pharaoh breathing down their necks, and they, oh, the wind's contrary, the wind's contrary. You know, God must not be in this, and, and they cried out, and, and God makes a way through the middle of the Red Sea because of the faith of Moses and because of God's, this is so important, because of God's plan for them. If God had had to depend on their faith, they would have gone back to, to Egypt. Amen. Many times God blesses us and we don't even have the faith to make it happen. It's because it was God's plan. And, and, you know, and we need to understand that and work on building our faith 
rather than just God doing stuff because it was his plan. We need to believe in the nature of God and who he is. And so they get through the Red Sea and get into the wilderness. Then they run out of water. And when you know it, oh, I've lost my vision. I want to go back to Egypt. And we don't have any water. And God caused a rock to begin to gush with water that flowed like a river in the middle of the desert, and that rock supernaturally levitated off the ground and followed them for 40 years. Read 1 Corinthians chapter 10. The rock followed them in the wilderness. You ever see a rock follow somebody? Amen. I remember back years ago, most of you are too young to remember this, there was a, a phase, some wise guy got the idea of selling a rock, and it was called Pet Rock, you know he made millions of dollars selling a rock, putting them in a box, writing, writing pet rock on the top of the thing. You know, and people actually bought that. When all you have to do is go outside and get all the pets you want for free, you know. No, they don't come in a box, but I mean, you can, make your, you can go get your own box. And, 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 but this rock followed them around. Like it was their, their pet rock <laughs> and flowed water while they were in the wilderness for 40 years that occurred. And do you know what happened? Then they ran out of food. Oh, I lost my vision. The wind is contrary. You know, we want to go back to Egypt. We, we, had, we had food and God made manna appear supernaturally on the ground. What I want you to see is every single one of the challenges they faced required God to solve it. Amen. And that is the key that you're going to discover in getting your dream built. The challenges are not really for you to fix. It's for God to fix. Husbands and wives often have this dilemma in communication. Women want to talk about things. It gets things off their shoulders. Really, it does. Women go to the well. Men go to the cave. That's right. Women talk about stuff, get it off their shoulders. Men talk about it, it drapes on our shoulders. So we get home and the wife is wanting to talk about the problem and all the time we're, we're feeling more and more pressure because men are by nature fixers. You bring a problem to us, we think you're asking us to fix it. We don't realize, no, you're not asking us to fix it. You just want us to listen to you talk about it. Amen. And we ought to have enough sense to be quiet and shut up and listen. But we don't. We think that means that's another job we got to do. And it's frustrating. And whenever challenges come, it's not for you to fix. It's for God to fix. Amen. Amen. I'm preaching right now. I'm helping you and and so Israel had all of these challenges. They couldn't fix. How are you gonna cater food to feed two and a half to three and a half million people in the wilderness? How are you gonna get water out there in the middle of the desert? You can't fix it on your best day. You and all the king's horses and all the king's men can't put that together again. You can't do it. You're not supposed to. It's supposed to be God. 
My point is, is that your challenges are opportunities for God to show up. And how do you teach somebody trust? You don't teach them trust as long as everything is going well in their lives. You can't. It's only when things are not going well and when they're facing an irresolvable conflict or challenge and then you demonstrate to them for the first time in their life when everybody else has bailed on them, you're going to stay. Amen. They keep waiting for you to leave too, but you don't. And you stay and you show them your ability and you fix it and you show them in that your faithfulness and your trustworthiness. How do you teach trust? Uh, an integral component component of someone learning trust is they must face a challenge. Only within the context of a challenge can you actually learn to develop trust. Andre Crouch, who went home to be with the Lord just the other day, I've often quoted his song, if I never had a problem, I'd never know that God could solve them. Amen. And so every problem Israel encountered was actually meant to end up being a miracle. But instead, they didn't look at the opportunity in the problem. They didn't see it. They didn't maintain vision. What they saw was the challenge when they should have been focused on the vision that we're going to the promised land. Hallelujah. God's bringing us. Listen, how do I know that every challenge was meant to end in a miracle? Hosea 2, 14 through 16. God said, write this down. This will bless you the rest of your life. Therefore, behold, I will allure her, which means draw her, and will bring her where? Where does God bring you? Into the wilderness. Why? And speak comfort to her. God brought Israel into the wilderness to speak comfort to her. And I will give her her vineyards from there. Where do you get your inheritance and your promise? While you're in the wilderness. Amen. You get it before you ever get it if you hear what I'm saying. Whenever you don't have it, you already have it. At the worst time, you're still pregnant with it. Don't abort your promise. Don't abort your blessing. Don't abort or give up on your dream. Amen. Because there you are walking around. Your vision isn't fulfilled, but you have to say, I'll get to that later. I've already got it. Amen. Because God gave Israel the vineyards in the wilderness from there. And then said, and the valley of Achor as a door of hope. She shall sing there as in the days of her youth, as in the days when she came up from the land of Egypt. And it shall be in that day, says the Lord, that you will call me my husband and no longer call me my master. In other words, I'm not going to be your boss. I'm going to be the part of you that makes life succeed. You're going to become one with me. Where do you do it? In the wilderness. How? When God speaks comfort to you. Where does he speak comfort? In the wilderness. Why is it this way? It's because, like I said, until there's a challenge, he can't teach you how much he loves you. 
He can't show you how much you can trust him. And what do you find in the valley, in the wilderness? You find the valley of Achor. Amen. Verse number 15. Achor in the Hebrew meant troubled. It was a word used to describe churning or roiling water as water that is churned up, violent waters churned up in a storm. Amen. This particular reference actually goes back to when Israel was defeated by a little old town by the name of Ai because Achan, watch this, had stolen the things that were dedicated to God. The tithe of the promised land was Jericho. God said, give me everything in Jericho. But what I told you a while ago is people that are raised poor, think that if I can get things, I'll make my life count and it'll be satisfying. Achan thought that. Why? Because he was raised as a slave in Egypt, you see. You can get the slave out of Egypt, but you don't always get Egypt out of the slave. And you can be a slave and then God set you free and still have a slave's mentality. And so Achan saw this wedge of gold, these shekels of silver, and this, I mean this fine-looking Versace Babylonian garment, amen. And he thought, if I can get that on, will I ever look good, amen. And you see, a self-perception of ugliness always begs ornamentation. If you don't know that you're beautiful, you're trying to fix yourself up all the time. And until you know how lovely you are to God, you're always trying to get stuff that will make people like you better. Until you know how much God loves you. And Achan took what belonged to God in a little no-name town. Well, it had a name, but it shouldn't have. Ai, a little bitty podunk kind of place, defeated the mighty army of Israel because when they went on the battlefield, God didn't show up. One thing you always want to have happen in life is when you go on the battlefield, you want God to show up with you. Amen. Amen. And so the way you do that is give God what belongs to him. Trust him. God said, man, I've got a house that, that you haven't built waiting on you. Why are you taking this little old stuff right now? Why are you worried about this? I've got lands and vineyards and wells and barns that are full. And you're worried about this nickel and dime stuff when I got all this other. But you see, Achan was thinking because he was raised as a slave, if I get some stuff, it'll make me happy. It won't. Your quality of life is what makes you happy. The stuff helps you enjoy it when the quality of life is where it needs to be. Stuff without quality of life, you still are miserable. Amen. Amen. And notice it was in Achor that they stoned Achan after God revealed who it was that had troubled Israel. They erected a can of stone, of stones, C-A-I-R-N, of stones over him and after they stoned him to death, and that was the valley of Achor. But what God said is this in Hosea, in the middle of your valley of storm. In the middle of Achor, in the middle of the churning, roiling water, guess what? I'm going to put a door of hope. <laughs> 
Oh, listen to it. The valley of Achor will be a door of hope. I look at that stormy night when the disciples are rowing and the wind is contrary. And all of a sudden, Jesus comes walking from white cap to white cap. You know who Jesus was? He said, I am the door. Where does the door show up? It shows up in the middle of the storm. That's where it shows up. You don't find the door until you get in a storm. I'm preaching to somebody right now. Woo! When the storm shows up, most people panic. And what you really ought to be doing is saying, where's that door? Where's that door? There's a door in the middle of this thing somewhere. Most people see the trouble. The promise is always in the problem. You don't get the promise till you show up in the valley. What do you see? That's what I'm asking you. I'm talking to somebody right now. What do you see? You're walking through something right now. What do you see? Do you see the waves roiling, the water churning, or do you see the door that's walking on those waves? Hmm. You see, a door is an entrance to another place. I've got a prophetic word for somebody. In the middle of the valley, you're getting ready to go through to another place. Amen. You're getting ready to be transported to another place. Amen. And it's when you're challenged that God proves himself. That's what God was showing Israel. That's why there was a Red Sea. That's why they ran out of food. That's why they ran out of water. All these things happened. God wanted them to understand, I'm the one that's going to build your dream, not you. You can't fix it on your best day. You can't fix it. But I can fix it for you. And in the middle of your problem, if you will trust me, there's a door that's going to lead you to another place. Amen. Hallelujah, hallelujah. And I love this. Jesus comes walking by, strolling from white cap to white cap. Can you just, this is cool, man. Just walking from white cap to white cap. And Peter said, if it really is you, there's some doubt going on here. Amen. They think it's a spirit. Call me, command me to come to you. And Jesus said, come. And Peter got out and he started walking on the water. And then notice what he did. He did what most of us do. He did what Israel did in the wilderness. He saw the wind. I, I got to read that again because you won't believe it, but it's in your Bible. Peter answered and said, Lord, if it's you, command me to come to you on the water. So he said, come. And when Peter had come down out of the boat, he walked on the water to go to Jesus. But when he saw that the wind was boisterous, he was afraid. Saw the wind. Huh, you ever seen wind? I haven't seen wind before. I've been here, I'm getting a little longer in the tooth these days. If you had noticed, I've been around a little while. I've yet to see wind. You see, you don't see the wind, but in the middle of the storm, instead of seeing the door, he saw wind, amen. He saw the wind was boisterous. Wait a minute. You can't see the wind. You see, this points out something. The greatest challenge you face is not the challenge itself. It's the challenge of your imagination when your challenge shows up. Your imagination kicks into overdrive. 
Your imagination runs wild. You can't let your imagination get away from you. You've got to hold on to your imagination. Amen. Now, if you're at a place in your life where you've been drained of all creativity and you don't have any imagination left, I want to tell you how to develop a creative imagination. Have an all-night prayer meeting in the church by yourself. Have you ever been awake at 3.30 in the morning in your own house and you hear the wood creaking, creak, the house settling? You think yeah, there's, there's Alibaba and the 40 thieves done showed up here, amen. You think everybody's in that house and you're hiding there and, and just waiting until the morning to come up, you know? And you think it's bad at home. Look, I'm speaking from the voice of experience. Have an all-night prayer meeting. You've lost all your imagination. Your boss told you you're not going anywhere. Your imagination is dried up. You've lost your creative juice. I want to tell you how to kickstart your imagination. Go to church and have an all-night prayer meeting. Not with some of the brothers and sisters. By yourself. And at 3.30 in the morning, you're going to hear some stuff that will get the imagination to working overtime. I can promise you. You remember all the demons that were, this is where demons have been cast out. Amen. And you hear noises. And, and I mean, I know I've done it. I've had all night prayer meetings. And you hear all of this going on and, and noises in the church and the wind blowing through an open window. And you know that was a door that slammed in the Sunday school department. It was. And there's nobody in Sunday school at 3.30 in the morning. That at least nobody's supposed to be there. <laughs> And your imagination goes into overdrive. That's what happened with Peter. His imagination kicked in. And I'm done. But you can't see the wind. And what you've got to do is trust God in the middle of the circumstance. Come on, help me out, somebody. Trust him. Tell somebody, trust him. 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 Amen. Don't look at the wind. You're too, so busy looking for the wind, you don't even see the door that's saying, hey, here I am. Stop looking at the wind and look at the door. Amen. So what should you believe about God in your future? Jeremiah 29 and 11. For I know the plans that I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you. And not to harm you. Plans to give you hope. Oh, what did he say? A door. Mm. Plans to give you a door. In the middle of your storm, in the middle of the valley of Achor, there's a door walking from white cap to white cap. Look at him. Don't look at the problem. When the seas are churning and tossed, that's when God shows up. And you know what happened? He got on the boat in the storm. And you know when Jesus gets on your boat in the middle of the storm, that's when he shows up. I'm done. But what should you actually see to find the door? Number one, you should see the goodness of God. Number two, you should see the faithfulness of God. When you're looking at all of the challenges as you're trying to make your dream become a reality, see God's goodness. 
See God's faithfulness. You see, this is really the truth. What you focus on is going to determine what you get. Look at the wind, you're going to sink. Look for the door, and things are going to happen. Number three, see that God loves you. In your worst time, declare it. Shout it out loud if you need to to the enemy. And, I, and I'm getting ahead of myself because that's what I'll talk about next. But you got to say it. God loves me. God has plans for me. And then see the grace of God. Peter got so focused on the wind, it didn't dawn on him. Hey, buddy, you're walking on water right now. You wouldn't be where you are if it wasn't for the grace of God. Human beings can't walk on water. You see, he wasn't really walking on water. He was walking on the word of God, the promise of God. When God gives you a promise, you can stand on his promise. Though all hell assail me, I shall not be moved. He will never fail me. I shall not be moved. The words of the old song go. And finally, see the power of God. If you don't let your vision of him, if you don't allow the image of the door to be stolen from you in the middle of your challenge, your challenge will transport you to another place and you will see the manifestation of God's power in your life. You can't fix it yourself. You weren't intended to. Stop being the husband in this thing and let him be the fixer and not you. Amen. Stop carrying the weight of it is what I'm saying. He will fix it for you.